0: Hey guys, do you want to be one of the very first people to read my brand new book that's about to come out? It's called Fierce, Free, and Full of Fire. If you sign up for the April box at the Jen Hatmaker Book Club, you will get your copy three weeks earlier than everyone else because you will get it three weeks before it even releases. Plus, of course, you get exclusive Fierce content and all this great stuff that goes with it. Um, not to mention getting to connect with the most incredible women in the book club community. And P.S., we have so much fun on our private Facebook group. It's just constant, incredible conversations. So you can find out more at jenhatmakerbookclub.com. Okay? Um, so here's the important part. The sign-ups for our April book box close on March 5th. So if you sign up after March 5th, you you won't be in in time for the April box. So make sure you sign up before March 5th. Um, so it's jenhatmakerbookclub.com. Cannot wait to welcome you in. Okay, guys, let's start the show.
1: Hi, everybody. My name is Remy. Welcome to the For The Love podcast with your host, Jen Hatmaker, my mom. She writes books and speaks to crowds, but she mostly loves talking to amazing people on this podcast every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show.
0: Everybody, hi. Welcome to the show today. Welcome to the For the Love podcast. This is Jen Hatmaker, your happy host. And I'm really, really glad you're here today. So, Today we're closing out our For the Love of Faith Icons series, and it has been really something. We have heard from leaders all across every sort of spectrum and decades and generations and denominations and ideologies. We've listened to what makes them excited to be in the faith right now, um, what's been challenging. We've talked about ways to build a brighter, more beautiful church, and today we're going to dig in a little deeper to one specific place. So if you've been listening, if you've been following along in this series, we have featured leaders, like I just mentioned, kind of in different places in their faith, which is probably like a slice of life, probably reflective of the greater community. And I think what I love about this particular podcast space is that when we have had the important conversations that we've had on our show, we hear from you. And so, yay, we've asked you to do that. We have said, tell us what you need. Tell us what you think. Tell us what you want. Tell us where you disagree. And I'm telling you, we listen to you when you talk to us. We do. The whole team, we pay close attention to that. And of course, so we saw that several of you expressed feelings and concerns and even some of your own personal experiences in a couple of the churches represented by some of these leaders who either, um, either are not affirming to the LGBTQ community or just haven't been transparent about it, haven't been clear about where they stand. And and you asked, why didn't you include that discussion with that person specifically? So I want you to know that I read every single one of your comments and direct messages and I don't take your trust lightly. And if you had concerns about those episodes and you're here today, I'm so happy that you're still here Um, because this matters to me. And this particular conversation is one I care about so much and so deeply. And I'm grateful, grateful to the many of you who pushed and lovingly asked us to go deeper and challenged what it looks like to speak to another faith leader who isn't affirming. So today I got with my team and said, This is, this matters. We need to, we need to answer this. We need to consider this. We need to press harder here. And so I've asked a few of my just personal best teachers and leaders in this area to come on the show. These are not just faith leaders. They are members of the LGBTQ community. And so they are icons, which is why they belong in this series. So I'm going to introduce you to them real quick. If you don't already know them, I'm going to tell you who they are. And then just promise me this, don't hang up on this podcast. I guess you don't hang up. What do you do? Stop it or pause it until you get to the very end. It's just so good. Like every single minute of this conversation was so good. We could have easily gone on for 40 more hours. The level of wisdom and expertise and instruction that these three brought today is profound. And it meant a lot to me. And I hope it means a lot to you. So, my first guest is Matthew Vines. Has been a good friend to me and a longtime leader to me. He is the founder of the Reformation Project, uh, which is a nonprofit that essentially educates Christians about the biblical case for LGBTQ inclusion and actually empowers them to advocate for inclusion in their churches while remaining deeply grounded in a love for God, for the Bible, for the church. I love when Matthew starts talking like this. He just completely nerds out because he cares about those things so much. In other words, you do not have to divorce your faith from affirming theology. We'll show you how. Um, You might have seen Matthew's viral video. That was my first introduction to him back in 2012, after he took a break from his schooling at Harvard, you know, he's just a real dum-dum, and studied the Bible and LGBTQ theology, and then went back to his home church and made a speech calling for the acceptance of gay Christians and their marriage relationships. And that went incredibly viral. He's also the author of God and the Gay Christian, The Biblical Case in Support of Same-Sex Relationships. So that is Matthew Vines. Next, we have Michael Vasquez. Gosh, he had so many good things to say today. I'm excited for you to learn from him. Michael is the director of the Human Rights Campaign Foundation's Religion and Faith Program in D.C. He leads efforts there to advance equity initiatives in faith communities, and he helps policymakers to understand how their faith calls them to advance pro-equity legislation. Like really, really important work in the world right now. Personally, and he talks about this, he touches on it. His own life was affected by inequity after he resigned from the Campus Ministry um, InterVarsity Christian Fellowship in June 2016 and co-led the movement of queer IBCF staff that ultimately spoke out against the organization's anti-LGBTQ policies. So he he has lived this story deeply. He's also, by the way, finishing up a master's in theological studies at Duke University's Divinity School right now. You'll also see he's he's a big smarty too. And then rounding out the crew is a podcast favorite here at For the Love, and that is our beloved BT Harmon. He is a content creator and speaker. He lives in Atlanta with his wonderful husband, Brett. Um, I featured his blog and podcast, Blue Babies Pink, several series ago, which is a coming of age story that really shed some beautiful light on what it is like to love Jesus and love the church and be gay. Really importantly too, BT is also the creator of Harbor, which is an online support program for Christian parents of LGBTQ kids. So, we are going to talk about all this today, you guys. We are going to talk about what it means to hold one another accountable and faith leaders accountable and where's the nuance and and how do we do this well and what's public and what's private. And I mean, I asked them some really hard questions. I invited all of their, everything they had to say and- I think it's going to be so good for you to listen to today because these are challenging and nuanced waters to navigate. Um, And so I just want you to know, I have not done this perfectly. And I know that. And for any pain that I caused my community, I am so sorry. And that is literally the last thing on this earth I want to do. And what's frustrating is I know I'm going to continue to not do this perfectly. It's frustrating. And so I'm grateful to my both my readers and listeners and followers and my fellow leaders who push me and say, this didn't sit well. And I want you to reconsider this. And would you reimagine this word or this term or this approach that means something to me? And I am listening and I'm learning and I'm growing and I want to continue to grow. And so I thank you for your feedback. I want to be a bridge builder and I have told you that. And let me be really clear what I mean by that. When I say that I want to be a bridge builder, what I want to build a bridge to is I want to build a bridge to the queer community and to its allies and to the spaces and places where that community is cherished and invited to lead, love, serve, and flourish. That's the bridge I want to build to that place. Not going. That's what I want. That's my hope. And so, this is a conversation that we're going to be having for a really long time, right? Because these these don't these changes are not overnight. But um, above all else, I want you to know that for me, for my places, for the podcast, for my books, for everything that I do, you belong here. You are valued. You are deeply and truly loved, and you matter to me. So, with that. Thank you for the longest introduction I've ever done on the podcast. Let's jump into this discussion. Do not turn it off until it's over. I am so glad you're here. Please sit back and learn and fall in love, no doubt, with our guests today, Matthew Vines, Michael Vasquez, and BT Harmon. Well, it is my pleasure to welcome the three of you to the show, and also the very first time we are attempting um, four people on one podcast. So God go with all four of us. Thanks for coming. Thank you. Um, Thanks, Jen. So here's what's going to happen. Um, We've got a million things to talk about, um, but I wonder really quickly if each of you can sort of take a minute. Um, identify yourself so people can kind of learn your voices. And then just kind of just tell us a little bit about you. Tell us what you what your work is and where you are and what does your family look like and what's your deal and what's your story? Is that fine? Okay. How about Matthew? You go first.
2: Okay. My name is Matthew Vines. I live in Dallas currently, but I grew up in Wichita, Kansas, in a conservative Presbyterian church. And so I came to terms with being gay when I was a sophomore in college. Mm. And that was a pretty significant upending of my life because there was really no precedent for being able to accept or understand or support that in my family Mm -hmm. or church. But my love for Jesus is the number one thing for me, and it always has been. Mm -hmm. And so really ever since coming out, I've just been dedicated to, and also my love for the Bible. I love the Bible. I love God. I love the church. So I just went back studying the biblical text and then really working to engage my parents, people in our church. And ever since then, that's just kind of Long story short, that's what I've been doing, and I wrote a book that came out Mm -hmm. uh, several years ago now called God and the Gay Christian, kind of about why I think Christians can fully affirm scripture and fully affirm same-sex relationships, and I run an organization called The Reformation Project, and we work to help shift churches from non-affirming to affirming in a way that's really rooted in our shared love for God, the Bible, and the church.
0: That's so great. Um, Just listener by way of information, um, Matthew came to Austin New Church, our church here, um, as a part of a conversation series as we were transitioning our church also to an affirming space. And then, of course, afterwards, we went out to dinner, um, and I sat next to Matthew, and like a complete weirdo, I took my fork, and I reached right over to his plate and took some Something off of it, And so now you know that if you and I go to dinner, I will eat your food, even if I barely know you. So thank you for still being my friend after that really weird hon- behavior.
2: You know, I was honored. So. Yes.
0: yes, I know that's a lie. Um, okay. How about you, Michael?
1: Totally. Um, so hello, everyone. My name is Michael Vasquez. Um, my current post is here at the Human Rights Campaign as the Religion and Faith Director for the Foundation. Um, Before coming to the Human Rights Campaign, I was the founder and uh, co-director of Brave Commons, which is a nonprofit that works with LGBTQ students uh, at Christian colleges and universities around the country, helping them navigate discrimination on campus, advocate for policy change, um, and really shift the conversation about equity on campus. Um, And then right before that, um, not too long before that, I was on on staff with University Christian Fellowship in a non-affirming space. Um, myself going through uh, a couple of different forms of conversion therapy, mm-hmm. trying to Sorry. pray the gay away. Thank you. Yeah. And, and that was really like something that began really early on because when I first came out, I was 10. Um, wow. I was being bullied in school and came home and told my dad and um, My family panicked. Didn't expect my dad to respond the way he did, um, because I was ten. I had Hmm. just assumed you tell your family things and things go well. Um, They called uh, my family, being very Catholic, um, responded to that moment by calling my very Baptist family in Puerto Rico and getting them to pay to pray for me because you know, um, like international prayer
0: might make you straight. Right. Right. Let's let's pull up the Puerto Ricans. Uh,
1: yeah the Rosary won't work, yeah. but uh maybe some Baptist prayer. sure um, sure, and so it really planted a seed of like confusion as a deeply spiritual person mm, sure. uh where where do I find myself in the story of my faith, but also in the affirmation of my sexuality mm. um, and the turning point for me in that um which I find very significant, I think for even the conversation we're having today um is um and remains uh, the events uh, in Ferguson during the uprising after Mm. uh, the assassination of Michael Brown by the state Mm. and seeing how the evangelical world, particularly the evangelical world that found itself at the center, right. They were trying to have conversations about justice, Mm. um, but seeing those folks move further, right. um, And more conservative and digging their heels in around um, LGBTQ people, um, while refusing to engage with Black Lives Matter, signaled to me as a person of color of both African and indigenous descent um, that this is not my home. And I was never really welcome here to begin with. And so that uh, instigated my exit.
0: Mm. Wow. Thank you for saying all that. That, uh, Ferguson was a really uh, important turning point for me too. That marked a real delineation between what I thought there was and what there was. Um, And so I appreciate you bringing that to memory and how injustice everywhere affects everyone um, that we're not all siloed off in injustice. Thank you for saying that. And thank you for being here. Um, our third guest today is a longtime friend of mine and the podcast. So now this is really unprecedented territory, BT, because this is the first and only um, third appearance from a guest (laughs) on the, for the love podcast, you occupy the, you're the sole person in the zip code. Um, but for the listeners today, can you, um, sort of introduce yourself yet again, please to my audience.
3: Sure. Jen, uh, I'm happy to have that honor. What what an honor. Uh, My name is BT Harvin. I live in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, son of the South, grew up in a small town in Alabama. My dad was a Southern Baptist pastor growing up and uh, just uh, lived a—I was gay, lived a closeted life for many years, Um, came to faith, you know, in high school and, uh, you know, attempted to, I guess, pray the gay away myself and Mm. um, lots of tears and— Bible studies and laying on of hands and those sorts of things. I uh, lived a single celibate lifestyle for uh, many years, deep into my 20s, and uh, eventually sort of had a little bit of a come apart and mm-hmm. uh, began to sort of question some of my theology at that point and uh, eventually came to to be affirming, to believe that God can and does bless us Single same sex relationship. So, hmm. so yeah, uh, 2016, uh, a couple years ago, I came out with a podcast and blog called Blue Babies Pink, which was just uh, my attempt at sort of stepping friends and family through the journey I'd been on of of living this sort of quiet, desperate, uh, closeted life. And, um, and it uh, was, was well received and super grateful for all the people that I've connected with through that. 2018, I got married. I married a man whose name was Brett. My name. <laughs> Yes. was Brett Trapp. Yes. I met a man named Brett Harmon and it's yes. very confusing. Right. And so I took his name and, uh, we live a really, a really peaceful and very boring married life in Atlanta <laughs> with we have a cat. And oh, there's yeah. the cat. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Professionally I, I do consulting work, uh, and also do podcasting and speaking. So yeah, I have my hand in several things, but, uh, uh, oh, and also, I also have a parent group, uh, support yeah. group for Christian parents of LGBT yep. kids.
0: Thanks you guys. I've already explained to my listeners um why we are having this particular episode and what I'm um hoping to bring to my community and what we're hoping to learn from you and um and I I have also explained that The three of you have lived in this world in such a way that has been incredibly instructive to me. And I have learned so much, not just from your words, but also from your postures and, um, It's meaningful to me that you still value the church and that you still value faith community. And sometimes these get, sometimes this all gets real muddy and understandably so. Um, And so I just find you very um, reliable and trustworthy guides um, today. So I want to start here. It's a real – you guys and I have talked about this, but it's a weird time right now in our culture. It's a real – dialogue is in peril. Um, a conversation is fraught. It's, it's fragmented. It's spliced together in social media. It lives behind screens. It's just – it isn't what it used to be. In some ways, that's not all bad, um, but we no longer um, – experience dialogue around ideas, um, ideologies in the way that we once did. And so, um, some of this has made it really hard. Um, I think one of the sacrifices of the social media con- venue of conversation is that uh, it just seems very, very challenging to include nuance in things that are nuanced. I wonder if we can just like set the table with sort of a term that we can kind of use and go in and out and you guys can help me, um, define it. I, I, The nice thing to me about social media is that we have this really interesting access to people in power, Um, be that in leadership at church, in government, in just civic conversation, whatever you want, however you want to do it, the the gap is closed. And so it does make it easier in some ways um, to ask hard questions. Um, So let me ask you this. What would you say the difference is, particularly in social media culture, between checking someone in power and canceling someone. Um, And does that matter to this conversation? I would just kind of like to hear your thoughts on this. Um, We'll just reverse it this time. BT, do you have any thoughts on that?
3: Yeah, I've got lots and lots of thoughts. Mm -hmm. You know, I really kind of draw a distinction between, uh, you know, canceling someone and muting someone. You know, for some reason, even the terminology "canceling." You know, it's only a couple years old. We've been saying this, and it, you know, for me, it feels sort of intentionally vindictive. It feels very public, almost. It's like, oh, you know, this showy way of making Mm -hmm. this pronouncement of "I hereby cancel." Mm. You know, whoever kind of performative. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's performative. Yeah. You know, so, you know, I don't know that that's super healthy for, for dialogue, but, you know, muting, I think, is great. I mute people all the time, you know, yeah, uh, on in digital spaces. I mute them in my personal life. If people yeah. are overtly, chronically toxic, if yeah. they're, you know, sending all this negative energy into my life, I'm no problem muting them. So, uh, so I think that's fine. I, you know, I, I really view the whole concept of checking power. For me, it's about, uh, you know, that is helping, seeking to help somebody grow. You know, I mean, I've in the last couple of years, I've posted several insensitive things uh, that, you know, one time that was something that sounded very ableist, something Mm. uh, one time that was insensitive towards the transgender community. I was thankful to have people. Uh, check me on that. Yeah, me too. Because, but they did it in a they did it in a kind and thoughtful way that showed, hey, this person's not out to get me; they're actually trying to help me. Yep. And as someone who has a very small amount of influence out there, I'm so grateful for that. And so, yeah, I think the knee jerk canceling stuff is unhealthy. I think it should be rare. But someone, you know, checking power
0: in a helpful way is is wonderful. Mm, that's a great perspective. Uh, you guys, I want to add in?
1: Yeah, I, I find those some of those things that you said really helpful, um, as in terms of framing. Um, I do want to name a couple of things, though. Um, I think we have different groups, right, that are engaging, right, in in these social media debacles and Mm. dialogues and debates, and sometimes it descends into utter chaos, right? right? And I do think there are—I've seen it, right, I've experienced it. There are moments where uh, folks are just performing right, where someone has come out and genuinely apologized for something that they were ignorant of, right, and they're like, I had no idea, and I want to change, I want to be better, and folks still lean in, right, like still, Mm -hmm. you know, try to attack them more and drag out um, the vitriol. So Mm -hmm. that, I don't want to dismiss it, that's a reality. Um, However, at the same time, right, um, and I say this um, very, like, gracefully, uh, or I'm attempting to say this very gracefully, right, in a space that's dominated, right, like this conversation is dominated by three cis men and a cis woman, um, three white people, um, and only one person of color, right, yeah. um, all four of us with uh, intense access to privilege and power, mm-hmm. right, um, that really colors the way that we talk about cancel culture. Yeah. Cancel culture is something, right, that is, um, yeah. I would argue, is primarily used in... Um, as a way to establish boundaries and to protect others, right? It's mm-hmm. a signal um, to other folks in the community like, hey, I went to this church and this pastor, right, that everyone is celebrating actually was really abusive, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and like you said earlier, Jen, like they, we have access to people in power in ways that we didn't before Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, um, but especially Twitter, right? Um, we have access to, to people in power, um, and that is a tool for organizers to be able to point out and say, actually, no, the experience or the story, or at least part of the story, of this person that's not being told um, is the story of abuse or the story of betrayal or the story of pain. and. Mm-hmm. Um, that needs to be, we need to hold on to that um, deeply, right? Like yes. I'm with Matthew, like what Matthew was saying earlier in his introduction about being someone like deeply in love with scripture. And something that I love about the Bible more than anything, something I love about Jesus in particular is the devotion to truth, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that the truth is that, that which daily liberates, right? That the Same. truth sets us free. And so we hold on to that, right? And I think often the issue with, Navigating cancel culture is people are afraid of the truth coming to light, right? Yes. Those in power not wanting truth, right? And so, yes, there are there are ways to avoid like just being toxic and uh, performative and all of those mm-hmm. things. But um, the deep value in cancel culture, called camps in framed as cancel culture, um, the deep power in it is that act of Jesus of truth telling. That's
0: great. I love that. Um, that feels really important to hang on to and to remember what is underneath it. It's not just a, a construct outside of p- real life and real people. Um, anything to add to that
2: Matthew? No, I mean, I think that both BT and Michael have illuminated the, both the good and the bad sides. Everything is, uh, kind of both. And yeah, when it comes yeah. to these that's conversations. the hard thing. Yes. And I, I mean, I myself have experienced how a place like Twitter can be amazingly and beautifully democratic in terms of hmm. creating that ability to have a voice that you weren't able to have before. But I've also seen how it can even sometimes. I've thought, I stepped back and thought, "Wow, this is actually messing with my mind a little bit hmm. in terms of it's making me less gracious and it's making me see people as less human in a sense because everything is a screen and it's hmm. so easy to write someone off permanently in a way that you would never do if you were actually in uh, lived community yeah. with them. Right. And so for me, I think the the, the ugly side of the underbelly of cancel culture would be embodied in or illustrated by the great divorce by CS Lewis, where his picture of hell is everybody just getting in arguments with other people and then moving their houses further and further away mm. from other people because they're just getting in arguments, with everybody else. And by the end, everybody lives hundreds of miles away from mm. everyone else. It's a deeply isolating experience. And that is, I think, something we have to navigate too. where it's like we're all imperfect people yeah. in need of grace. And so I think especially coming at things from a Christian standpoint, there's got to be that balance between having legitimate space to share concerns, frustrations and things like that. And also still coming from a posture of genuine love and res- like respecting the other person's dignity and mm. not just saying, oh, we're going to call people trash now. Yeah because we disagree with them and social media lets us say those things and get incentivized for it and rewarded mm. because 200 people like my comment yeah. calling this other person trash. But I think we've got to also step back and say, you know, there's a, there's a line between making an important point or criticism and saying something that is just not consistent with how Jesus calls mm. us to think and talk about other people.
0: So let me, let me ask you guys this, because um, I want to ask you this question, and I want to put it on two different levels. The first level is going to be with the people in our life, our, um, our families and our neighbors and our, the people that we go to church with. And, um, and then the second category, which I'm going to save that conversation, because I wonder if these two are different, and I'd like to hear your wisdom on that. The second category is going to be um, leaders in the faith faith leaders, church leaders, wherever they kind of live in that ecosystem. I'm not going to put them separate. So let's talk about the first category first. So um, you have lived experiences with this uh, that uh, we need to hear, uh, listen to, and learn from. So when somebody in your life... um, And they do not align with you. Specifically, someone in the Christian faith who is, they're not affirming. They're not affirming of same-sex either relationships, period, um, or their inclusion in church leadership. um, Obviously, their spiritual authority. Um, I want to know, because this to me feels like hard, murky, challenging work. What do you do? Like. How? How? Either or? Do you even hold space for that person to evolve, if if at all? Because where I get hung up here is I think about um, you know the James Baldwin quote that is so famous when he said, you know, we can disagree and still love each other until your disagreement is rooted in my oppression. And denial of my humanity and right to exist, and that applies here. That applies to um, the lives of the LGBTQ community um, and their rightful role in the Church of Jesus. And so, I'm—I just would love to hear you speak into this conundrum. Um, is there—is there room to evolve, or is this so nuanced that even in there, we need some categories? Let's see,
1: Michael. You want to jump in?
0: Is that conf- Was that a confusing
1: question? No, no, that's, okay. um, it's a, it is all the things you said about <laughs> it, right? It's a complex question. It's a, it's a difficult question. Um, I love that quote from James Baldwin. Okay. I, I think it is the safe place that I would prefer, um, for most folk to live in, right? Mm-hmm. To feel that they are able to s- establish that kind of boundary and to say, no, like we can disagree on, um, what kind of tacos we enjoy like we can disagree on um what kind of worship music we enjoy right? we can disagree on um as a student of theology right like with a focus on homiletics like I am in debates all the time with people mm. about like which kind of preaching is better like sure. you know all of those things I'm mean, like that's like you know I could have those debates for the rest of my life and still get you know a drink with someone after that's totally great. um but when it comes to my humanity right that's when right. it comes to my dignity right um those things are not up for discussion mm-hmm. um However, I also feel a personal responsibility as, like I said earlier, as a person of privilege, right? And I'm still saying that as like a queer person of color right, that came from a family that was impoverished, right? Like all of those like intersecting um Marginalizations, right? Mm-hmm. I, still, I still have a lot of privilege. I'm graduating from an elite university. I work at a great organization in Washington, D.C. I live in a cute neighborhood, right? There's a Whole Foods two blocks from my house. Soul cycles up to the street. Like, yeah. I'm doing fine, okay. right? Like, I'm doing great, right? Like, right. Um, and so I, right? Living with access to this kind of power privilege mm. um, and these resources, I have a personal responsibility um, to dialogue with folks who disagree with mm. um, my humanity and my dignity and that of my community in hopes of wow. changing the conversation. Mm. But ultimately, what I want, right? Like, right? Like, free, we all have freedom of conscience. Like, you're allowed to believe. What you want to believe. My priority is to ensure that your belief does not infringe on my ability to right. be free. Right to quote another um, favorite theologian and black mystic, right? Howard Thurman says, mm-hmm. right, like that common ground can be established between two different people if and only if, like, my freedom does not infringe on your ability to be free. That's good. And so when people within the church are advancing, right, theology that dehumanizes and abuses and and proliferates violence against the transgender community, that is no longer, we no longer mm. have common ground. Right? Yes. Like, there's no longer room for um, cute, fluffy conversation. I will dialogue, right, like we'll take time in hopes of shifting someone. Mm. But my priority at that point is to say, um, enough is enough, and we're drawing a line here, right? And so when those kinds of folks, whether it's on social media, right, like, um, or in real life, right, um, we have a responsibility as people with privilege um, to stand in the gap on behalf of those who don't have the same kind of access that we do, right? And I think if someone like James Baldwin, if someone like Howard Thurman, right, um, Pauly Murray, or Marsha B. Johnson, or Sylvia Rivera, like, if these folks Um, with significantly less privilege than I currently have, Hmm. were able to lead and stand in the gap, then how dare I not? That's great. Does that make
0: sense? Yeah, yeah, that's so great. Um, BT, thoughts?
3: Yeah, you know, my first thought on this is this particular question uh, you know, do we allow people to evolve? Do we hold space for them? I think it's very contextual hmm. and seasonal. And what I mean by hmm. that is, listen, if you're just now coming out and you're coming out of an abusive, re- you know, religiously abusive situation, you know, you've got trauma you need to deal with. The answer is no, You, you we do not expect you to hold space and have, you know, thoughtful dialogue with people, yeah. you know, who who have been That's partaking in that. So I, I would start there to say, you know, for a lot of people, this is not a great solution. And I hmm. have total empathy and grace for that. Yep. I do think, you know, once you've had time to get yourself in a healthier headspace and you've got community and you're supported, you know, then I, that's which is where I, I try to live my life. You know, I do want to try to be engaging with folks like that. You know, I created a little rubric for myself a couple years ago around this particular question, and, and I, it's very, very simple. I break it down into three categories, thoughts, words and actions. Okay. And so my, my rule is, uh, you know, if, if your words and your actions— towards me in my space are hateful toxic bigoted
0: mm-hmm.
3: uh divisive yeah. i reserve absolute right to cancel you personally yep, you know same. i'm not, not going to make it but i have the right to push your voice out of my life yep. and i will do that in a hot minute it's great with zero shame yeah however on your thoughts if in your mind you believe that i uh, that homosexuality is sinful that I will eventually spend an eternity in hell. If those are just thoughts that you have, I'm actually okay with that because what is going on in your mind, you know, is not really my business. I, don't, I might not like it. I might want you to change. Um, but I think a recipe for a lot of anxiety is, you know, trying to change things that we cannot change. And I, I have a theory that, you know, 10 to 20% of people are in this conversation are never going to change. Yeah, They're going to go to their grave believing that homosexuality is wrong. I hate that. I hate that so much, but it is a reality that I've chosen to accept, and so I'm going to distance myself from people that are toxic in those ways. But I'm not going to expend my emotional energy trying to twist arms, change, or argue them out of that position because mm. I, I've just found it to be it's too exhausting. And so everybody's different. That's that's the system I've created for myself, and it you know usually usually works.
0: <laughs> um, I see Michael raising his hand.
1: Yeah, I I want to push back a little bit on that, and as generously as Go possible. For it. Um, <laughs> There are some incredibly sweet people that will proliferate harm in the sweetest way, mm-hmm. right? Where it will never look hateful or bigoted or toxic, right? My time in varsity, my supervisor, one of the sweetest, mm-hmm. most bubbly dudes you will ever meet. Like, kind guy, right? Sweet guy. Um, mm-hmm. Super friendly. Um, and that, like, made it very difficult mm-hmm. for me to find an exit because it seemed like he was in my court, right? Like it seemed like I could have healthy dialogue and conversation, um, and even disagree to some extent. Um, and mind you, yeah, I was still on staff. He was still my supervisor. Right. But Christians often do this thing, right. Where they make you feel right. Um, I'm just kind of removing myself from this picture because I don't like to function in this way. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, oh, but we're all family, right? Even if we work for each other, like we're family, we're all family in Christ. Like there's no like Jew or Greek no more, right? Like we're all, you know, we're all one people until like it comes down from, you know, a doctrine issue, right? And then I have to cut, uh, cut you off from opportunities, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I have to not promote you or I have to put you in a performance improvement plan because uh, you're asking different questions and I don't feel comfortable with that. So those kinds of folks, right, like, they're not being hateful, they're not being violent, they're not being vicious, right? They're not tweeting horrible things at me. Um, but they're still being hurtful, yeah. right, in different ways. And so there has to be a way to push those people also, right, hmm. the sweet ones, right, who will see the, um, you know, folks, the angry uh, folks online and be like, oh, I hear you. I, I see you. And I'm not going to give you an answer on where I actually stand theologically. I'm not going to shift theologically. I'm not actually going to engage in conversation, but I see you. Um I have, you know, I support you. I love you. It's the, um, let's couch this in a pastoral conversation mm. about your pain and your trauma and where you're at and not in a genuine tr- and truthful conversation about how the th- beliefs that you have perpetuate mm. are.
2: Does mm. that make sense?
0: Totally. I, I'm hearing you so loud and clear. What do you think, Matthew?
2: Well, I think here we're kind of getting into something that I think you mentioned in the question, Jen, about the difference between engaging somebody who's just kind of in a similar position to you, right? Just like somebody sitting in the pew next to you at church versus somebody in a leadership position. And there definitely are differences in how to go about engaging that. But even if you just think about, say, a non-affirming Christian sitting in the pew next to you on Sunday, how would I go about engaging that person depends so much on the context. Well, is it an affirming church? Like. Mm. Do I feel like most people in this community are supportive of me? If so, I'm going to feel a lot more comfortable being able to engage that person because I don't feel like their opinion or anything that they might say that might be hurtful is going to then have this really wide ripple effect or be Uh, reflective of uh what's coming from the pulpit as well. But if it's a church where I feel like there is zero support, zero openness across the board, it's a lot more painful and probably less beneficial for me to invest my time in having some in-depth conversation with that person if I don't really feel like there's even that much openness from Mm. that person. Yeah. So, I mean, in general, I really do try to, I think there is a lot of value in staying in relationship when it is possible, but it it is not always possible. Yeah, And that's a very, it's a very case by case thing. But I also really do try if it's not possible anymore to remain in relationship with somebody to not end things in a bitter way, right. yeah. but just to try to like recognize, okay, I don't think I'm going to be able to hmm. keep doing this anymore, but like still love you, still want the best for you, but I'm just going to have to kind of go in a different yep. direction in terms of how I'm investing my energy. Yeah. Um, so, cause I do think even when people are believing things that are pretty harmful to us, we are called to love everyone, our neighbors and our enemies. Oh, that's so terrible. And, I know it is. so terrible. Personally, I do see a big, like, how I understand people's motive does really shape my experience of them. I will have people in my life who actually have the exact same position on something. But I can just really, I do believe that one person, their motive is coming from a much better place. Hmm. And so it doesn't mean that that absolves any of the problems that may come from their position. but. Honestly, in general, I probably just like them more <laughs> than, than somebody who I don't feel like I get they, their motive is coming from a good place. And so that's why it's really that. hard to kind of just have some formulaic answer of here's how I respond, you know, like if, here's how I would engage this. It's very context and individual specific. I see my reflection But I reflection do think everything still has to be rooted in like the teachings of Jesus yeah. and how are we seeking to love others as we have been loved by God and as we wish to be loved.
0: we've all been there right we feel like we're in the weeds and need a second opinion some guidance from someone who has a bird's eye view maybe and can lead us sort of into pulling back and seeing our situation with a bit more clarity so better help counseling can help do that for you with better help you get matched and then you start communicating with a licensed therapist in less than 24 hours it's so convenient uh, you can access counseling uh, via desktop, m- mobile, and you can schedule weekly video and phone sessions that fit into your exact schedule, into your exact life. Maybe best of all, BetterHelp is a truly affordable option for counseling. And you, my dear listeners, can get 10% off your whole first month with the discount code for the love. So get started today because I'm telling you what, you are worth this self-care. Go to betterhelp.com slash for the love. Fill out the questionnaire to help them assess what it is you need and get matched with a counselor you love. That's betterhelp.com slash for the love and the discount code for the love. Okay, guys, back to our show. It's so interesting for me to listen to you guys talk, and um, so as I steer this over toward leadership, I mean, I have to just be fair and say I I am framing this up through my personal experience. I don't have any other way to do it, which is that even six years ago, I was not affirming. I had not even examined it. it. You know, it wasn't. It was an unexamined position that I was handed once upon a time, and it lived on its own shelf, and so. I mean, six years ago, you guys, and so at that point, I was in leadership. I mean, I was out there doing the thing. I had t- I had a Twitter account for crying out loud, and so I wrote something even then that was so um, to your exact point, Matthew. It was very nice. I mean, it was almost adorable, and it was so. Harm- I remember that. Yeah, it was so harmful um, to the to the LGBTQ community and everybody who loves them, and. So I don't know why. I can't explain why. And I think maybe to your point, Matthew, maybe it's because I was just likable. But some other faith leaders who were v- firmly in, a, in the uh, sort of affirming camp, they held a door open for me even then. And I don't know why. Because I think they sensed in me, she's on the spectrum. <laughs> I definitely dropped some of those breadcrumbs and I, I, well, I don't know. I can't speak for them. I honestly don't know why. But all I can tell you is that the fact that I got to remain in relationship with some fellow leaders who were f- way further along than I was on this was absolutely monumental to my own Journey to be to evolving to re-examining scripture and interpretation and and then you know coming all the way over and so that's the only experience I have that's personal and so I am a hundred percent ready and willing to be challenged on this so this is what I want to bring to you next um, because I actually think it's gotten a little harder in six years something about six years ago wasn't quite as what's the word everything is a little bit more intense now. And it's a little bit, uh, the, the runway is shortened on virtually every conversation now. It's just a the, the, the rope is shorter. Um, but is it possible or wise um, to hold space for people in leadership, specific, specifically spiritual leadership? Because as we all know, they are leading people. People are listening to them. They have um, LGBTQ kids in their communities and parents and siblings and everybody else. And it it matters. It matters. It matters a lot. And so um, what do we do here? Do we, is this the same answer that you just gave or is it different? Um, Is this contextual? Is it paying attention to what we are sensing in their journey? Is it direct? Is it public? um what what does this look like um what is the responsibility here and then what a side question is your responsibility as members of the community different than mine as just an ally right do i have a different role here than you have so i just loaded that i don't really know how you're going to pick that apart do your best with everything the word salad that i just gave you okay we'll just start back at the top bt
3: yeah I think um, for me, a great schema here is you know the ideal versus the real. I don't know where I heard that somebody else made that up. you know ideally, Jen, I want every faith leader to be you know affirming celebrating LGBT people yesterday. Yep, that's what I that is what I want. I desperately want that. I mean, my inbox right now, I can't speak for Michael and Matthew or you, but I would suspect your inbox is filled. With messages from people, from LGBT people suffering who've been, you know, shunned by the church, kicked out of their home by their parents. It is absolutely heartbreaking. I come across multiple of these stories a day. I live yeah. under the sadness of that. Mm-hmm. And I know that that's perpetuated within church pews and within churches. So I desperately want the ideal scenario to be real, which is that these people get their hacks together, realize the harm that they're causing and and realize that that this is a good and holy thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, In reality, the real is, I don't think that's going to happen tomorrow. You know, I can't reach through Twitter and twist people's arms into believing a certain way. And so, um, you know, I... I just take the position of I want to hold space for them. I think fundamentally, either you believe people don't ever change and they're going to forever be a toxic, you know, negative mm. cretinous person, or you have to have hope that they can and will change. And then that's, that's, the, that's the belief that I have. And so I do think there's value in holding space for these leaders. I do think there's a time to speak truth to power and, uh, you know, but there's also a there's, I mean, you're a great example, Jim, like somebody held space for you and we've got to think that the next gen hat maker is out there um, and that the Holy Spirit's working on them.
0: Mm, this, I find this so complicated. I can literally argue three different things right now and they're all competing. Um, what do you think, Michael?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's absolutely complicated, right? I'm in the same boat, right? Like I, I can think of um, legitimate arguments for yeah. um, compelling arguments for Any number of options. Um, I think first, right, this is the reason why we need good allies, right? Um, Why we need non-LGBTQ people um, to stand in the gap, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I think we all um, at some point in our life could thank um, the late Rachel Hall Evans for leading in that way, Mm -hmm. right? And and holding space for those conversations. Um, And she set an incredible example of like what it looked like to... Hold space for folks who are not yet there, mm-hmm. um, but trying to. Right. Um, I don't like the expectation that LGBTQ people um, should be the ones right. to be perfect hmm. in engagement. Right. I think that's, that's my my struggle. Hmm. Is you have a deeply wounded, deeply attacked community. That's right? right. We are hurting yes. as a community, and then we see someone say something stupid on Twitter, hmm. and then we get angry, and then the response. Typically, right, like, again, this is what, in my experience of what I've seen, the response is, oh, well, there they go again, the mobs. Mm. Like, this is why we can't get anything good done. Like, if they everyone would just calm down and give mm. XYZ human being, you know, Pastor Bob down in Kansas, you give him a moment, like, he might get there. If you mm. were just nice to him for a second, I'm like, well, there have been too many Pastor Bobs totally. hurting us for too long. Yeah. And now we're expected to be the nice ones, right? Yeah. And so I'm going to lean more on. No, I'm not going to blame hurting individuals um, who for speaking out from that place of hurt. Right? Yeah. I want everyone to be healthy. But if we can't get access to health care and adequate mental health to process the trauma we were put through because you're preventing us from accessing that, then I can't be like, well, baby, you need to go to therapy. Like, right. no, I, you, I wish you could get access. And that's what we're fighting for. And for that reason why, yeah, it's my, it might not be good to call people trash, but – you brood of vipers, is mm. probably just as much mm. um, calling someone trash in the words of Jesus, right? Mm. There are some pretty nasty words used for religious authorities that use their power um, to inflict harm against marginalized populations. And so I think there is, in fact, room for that, right? Mm. I want to hold the door open, right, um, for the religious leader that shows up in the dead of night, we all know that story, right? Shows up in the dead of the night and asks Jesus, what must I do, right, to inherit eternal life? I want to hold that door open and then tell them the truth. This is what you must do, mm. right? But we, I think, want to hold people's hands instead of holding them to the truth, that's right? That's
0: good. Yeah. Yeah, that's so good. I'm just nodding my head off here. What do you think, Matthew? Uh,
2: I mean, I, I feel like I see things from— Uh, a number of different perspectives in the sense that I really do hear and agree with so much of what Michael just shared in terms of that's why it's especially not the role of uh, leaders especially like non-affirming faith leaders if they are feeling like they're getting attacked on Twitter well they may just need to talk about it with you know their own counselor their spouse but like don't go whine about it Mm, (laughs) on like you know publicly because Even if people maybe said things that weren't loving, like, I think we're always called to just look to ourselves, right? And like, how can, you know, where we fall in short and how can we do better? Not just always pointing out, well, this person said this mean thing about me. And so now I'm just going to focus on that and ignore the whole content of what they were actually saying because they Mm -hmm. said something unfair or uncalled for in the process. So I, I do think that that's really important. I think there's another aspect of this, as I think through part of how I think people are frustrated around when non-affirming churches are unclear about right. their stance. And I've experienced two different types of unclear, non-affirming churches. There's one type of unclear, non-affirming church that is just intentionally deceptive. And they the reason they are unclear is because they know it would hurt the bottom line, it would hurt their image, the brand, and all these things for people to know what their position is, and so they just try to be vague about it. And there's no the leadership is not trying, they're not really making a big effort to change beliefs and hearts and minds and the culture in the church. Right. And so in that case, I get why that is, I mean, I find that incredibly frustrating. Hmm. There's another type though of unclear non-affirming church that is unclear because it is really in process. Yeah. And there are things that are changing. And if you talk to the leadership, like and if or if you you know that there are they're They're really trying, and they're really doing their best. Some of the leaders might actually be affirming, and they're trying to bring along as many people as possible in their congregation in the process. And so I look at those as very different things. Now, mm. it doesn't mean that there can't still be problems in in that second type of situation. There absolutely can be because the, a, a lack of clarity can produce problems of of all sorts, but I still think that's a very different situation mm. than a church that is just intentionally deceiving people kind of for self protection and self-gain versus a church that is in a messy middle totally. place of trying to bring people along. And so we actually, we have a program that we started last year with the Reformation Project called Pastors in Process. And we, it's specifically for pastors of non-affirming churches who are wanting to take the next steps toward becoming more inclusive of LGBTQ Christians. In some cases, these pastors are themselves affirming. In some cases, they're not necessarily all the way to affirming, but they are kind of in, in movement and in process. And what I want for them is not just for all of them. I mean, if this was actually going to be most effective, then yes, I'd say, great, just all go out tomorrow and say you're affirming. But I know that realistically what would happen in a lot of those cases is that would not actually bring as many people along. And that sometimes Mm -hmm. it does take a process for somebody in a leadership position. And that if if they are more deliberative and intentional in their process, and even, yes, if it takes longer sometimes, they could bring along you know, 80% of the church instead of 40%. Hmm. And to me, I'm like, well, that then matters Hmm. for an LGBTQ kid growing up in one of those families that you helped to bring along, but their family would have just left and gone to a more conservative church if you had done this process differently. Now, it's a really tricky balance, and I don't think there's like Hmm. a, a best, just one black and white answer to how to do that. But I do have a lot of sympathy for how this can be complex for people in leadership positions trying to balance how do i bring as many people along as possible while also trying to not just be complacent about the problems of the status quo
0: do you know how freeing it is to recognize that health is not a number on the scale health is developing habits that help my body Feel her strongest, her most confident self. And one of the best tools I have found to help with that is called Noom. So, Noom equips me with resources that help me understand why I make the choices I do around food and movement, and then how I can make better ones. Noom has one of the biggest and most accurate food databases around, which is helpful for me because I want to be mindful about what I am putting into my body. And Noom's kind of food log helps me see these have been the choices I've made without thinking for the last 48 hours. So it just sort of takes the guesswork out of how to treat my body well. And it isn't time consuming either. Uh, It's just about 10 minutes a day to check in and see how I'm doing, how I can move forward and get all kinds of encouragement. So listen, you don't have to change your whole life in a day. Actually, it's small steps that ultimately make big and lasting progress. So sign up for your trial today at Noom.com slash for the love. So I'm going to spell that for you. It's N-O-O-M Noom.com slash for the love. Do this for yourself. Noom.com slash for the love. And you can start your trial today. Back, back to the show. I'm curious, um, because all three of you have access to faith leaders in really interesting ways. You've got a lot of authority in each of your life. Um, What are you seeing right now? What are you seeing? Um, I'd love to hear both prongs. Um, What are you seeing in terms of just regulars, just regular people Um, who I know what I see, so I'm curious to see if, if we're, um, if we have the same observations, um, who are examining this theology, um, what are you noticing? And then I'd also like to hear what you're noticing on church leaders, pastors, faith leaders, um, and this exact same thing, but what are you seeing in that community? Um, because I, I find some, some hope. Embedded in this question, I'm just going to go ahead and lead the witness and see if you see the same um, or not. Uh, what are your What are your observations right now with how the church culture is moving here? I pick BT. Okay.
3: Well, I would, I would love to hear Michael and Matthew's thoughts here because mm-hmm. I think they they're probably in dialogue with more faith leaders than I have. You know, I have one sort of macro thought here, which okay. is uh, the one piece that really no one wants to talk about with this question is economics. Mm. Um, You know, we have seen some churches come out as affirming, and they have faced incredible backlash, you know, beyond just uh, earning the ire of their congregants. You know, people stopped giving, and some of these churches have closed down. And so that's the reality. Uh, You know, there's this famous uh, Upton Sinclair quote that I kind of correlate with this. It is difficult to get a man to understand something when his salary depends on his not understanding it. Hmm. And Yikes. so I think you've got a lot of pastors out there, and this is this is not a popular thing to say, but I think it's true. Um, I think they've done ministry. They know that the prescribed methods uh, for people in their congregation who are same-sex attracted or transgender don't work. They've probably come to a conclusion where they are affirming, mm. uh, but they don't want to get fired. <laughs> they've got, you yeah, know, three kids at home. They've got mouths to feed. And, real. Um, that's real. I can, you know. I can understand that in some ways, uh, so I think we're waiting on some some courageous people to really step out and to take uh, they're going to have to take some bullets. So, you know, some some already have.
0: Mm. That's good, guys.
1: I would absolutely affirm what BT just said mm. um, and just lean into that some more. Right? I think um, when I read when I read scripture and I read the the call right of. Uh, prophets and apostles and uh pastors right like these the call to ministry demand sacrifice right like um then i read when i was in university i read a couple of your books that talked about right Mm -hmm. like what does it look like to surrender right um these things that we have fallen so deeply in love with right our our creature comforts our access to power right like these things like those are instigating conversations for me in my own process right um so I knew secretly you were in process because I was reading between right. the lines. there, right, right. Like, and if you had eyes
0: to see and ears to hear, it was not a right, mystery. Like, let the reader yep.
1: understand. And yes, I, I did. I yes. did. Right, and um, I think right, like there is a crisis of leadership in yeah. the church. Right, where there mm-hmm. where folks lack the courage to just stand up and say, "Amen, you are right. That's right. That I am wrong. That's right. right. You're right. And I will." with ashes on my head and sackcloth around Mm. my back, I will repent, right, for my failure here, right? Totally. Um, I think that um, to what Matthew was saying a little earlier, Mm. right, like, sure. Like, I I get that there are folks um, who are in process, right? And so there's a lack of clarity, right, about where this church stands because they're in process, they're having these conversations. When they get attacked online, own it. I want to see them say, you are right. We are not yet there. We acknowledge the pain that we're causing, right? And that other churches have caused. And that we are in process and we're having these internal conversations. Great. People, right, like most people I would argue would just pause there and be like, all right, well I will mm-hmm. We had that dialogue. You name the thing that needed to be named. Yes. And there's some people that just must they need to be willing. Right? To let everything go. Again, the Gospel of Mark records a rich young man showing up to Jesus and saying, Teacher, Rabbi, what must I do? And Jesus says, sell all of your things. (laughs) Give the money to the poor and then come and follow me. Mm -hmm. The church doesn't like to hear those words, right? Right, The church likes to say, come and give me all your money, right? (laughs) right? Right. I need your tithes, I need your offerings, I need yes. some extra, right? We need a new roof, we well, need a new place. Like, also from right. the queer
0: community, they will definitely take your tithe, but will oh, not absolutely. put you in leadership,
1: right? Amen. Yeah. Right. You want my money, but you won't. You don't want my personhood. That's you don't right. want my dignity. You don't want my humanity. I want people to fall on their sword in the name of Jesus. Jesus did it, he right? He did. Jesus was crucified for the life that he lived, right? For his opposition to oppression. Would these pastors also do the same and stand up? Right, mm-hmm. that's the courage that I'm longing for. Oh, right, man. I see, and I don't want to. Just, I hear these beautiful things and conversations in private with pastors same. all the time. Tell me where they're at. The conversations they're having, their fears about moving forward, and I just want to say, like, the water's right there, Peter. Mm-hmm. Just step on out in the name of Jesus. Just walk and see what happens. Right, uh, but same people are same
0: man, and when it happens, it is like. Oh, it's so full of like life and movement and joy because what I notice is that um, – I, I realize it's probably condescending to call people regulars. I, don't, I can't find another name. Just when regulars are paying attention <laughs> and a leader falls on his or her sword, it get so many regulars are in process. So many. So many. BT, you said a minute ago you think there's probably – I think I, I may get your numbers on but you said – 15 or 20% maybe that you think will probably never, ever change their mind. Well, that is still a lot left. 85, 80% of people (laughs) who have a lot of possibility in front of them, who are willing to examine a theology when they are regularly seeing the death and pain that it causes. And so um, when when one leader falls on his or her sword, 10,000 people come behind them. It's powerful, and it matters, and it's important. And and that's exactly why I'm happy to have you guys on today, because leaders right now matter in this conversation. Um, do you have anything you want to add to that, Matthew? Because you have a very generous posture in general, way more than me. I tell you this all the time. Like There are places where you have a lot of graciousness, and I'm like, nope, I'm mad they're dead. I'm never speaking to them again. And you manage, I don't know how you do it, but you are blessed with a real generous nature. I'm, I'm curious your thoughts here.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think that both when it comes to average Christians who are in process in their theology and people in leadership and pastors who are in process, I think there's often a mixture of, of motives for people. So, When I think about—I mean, I think certainly what BT was saying about, for some people, they just don't want to give up their salary. They just know they're going to lose their job. They don't want to do it. I mean, that's real. That is a very real thing. And there can definitely be a number of selfish motives embedded in the mix. I think for—when I think about kind of an average uh, Christian who is not affirming— I think there can be a range of of reasons behind that some that I think are more sympathetic and some that are less sympathetic. So yeah. part of that can just be outright ignorance, can even be prejudice or even animus or hatred. Yeah. And also there's really not much I can do about the, you know, some some of the heart elements there. But for some people what is holding them back is that they love the Bible and yes. they just haven't seen how those pieces can be put together in a way that is going to allow them to continue to believe in the authority of scripture and change their position on this. And so I understand that I have a lot of sympathy for that. And that's part of the reason why I love to engage Christians and help to address those concerns for people. Because it also, once you address people's more kind of sympathetic and legitimate concerns, it does then kind of pull back the veil a little bit and then helps people to realize, okay, I guess really the only thing that's holding me back is something that isn't actually that defensible anymore because it's a more of a personal prejudice. So if my, you know, the reason that is kind of more uh, understandable or defensible, isn't really as strong of a reason anymore. It can help people to see things differently. Mm. And so likewise, when it comes to leaders and pastors in particular, yes, there can absolutely be the selfish motives, but I also think there can be a fear of losing things that are not selfish. And I have That's seen great. a lot of pastors the fear of losing Uh, Because for so many people, this conversation, for a lot of reasons I don't even fully understand, can be so uh, explosive in terms of the impact that it has, the amount of alienation that it leads to, the disillusionment, the intensity of the rejection. For a lot of people, either when they come out or even just when they become affirming, they can feel so kind of thrown about in the wind and so rejected by people that it can, for a lot of people, lead to kind of an exit from the faith for them. Right an exit from the church or an exit from the faith or both. And I have tons of sympathy for the reasons that happens, but that can create a very understandable fear in pastors that if our church becomes affirming, but we don't do it with a strong enough theological foundation, or we don't do it with the way that's bringing us along people, we could lose the thing that is most important, which is the passionate love for Jesus at the governing core of everything that we do, that passionate drive for discipleship, And so that's part of the reason, too. I think that that is an understandable concern. Mm. Now, so if your concern is selfish, there's not that much I can do about Mm. that. But if your concern is about those other things, you want to make sure that Jesus remains at the very center and core of your church. That is something we can work together on. Totally. And so that's something that I want to partner with people on and really help. Let's build that path. Let's help show how churches can shift on this conversation in a way that they are still a vibrant, unapologetically, passionately Christian church that loves the Bible and also loves and fully affirms LGBTQ people. Like that is possible. Yep. So that's why I always try to untangle those mixture of motives so I can focus on the ones that I can do something about.
0: I am so happy you said that. That was un- 100% the shoe that I needed to drop. Um, I understood the loss and risk and that to me, I was I was willing to pay that. But for me, I needed to know that I was being faithful. And obedient, and I needed mm-hmm. to know that I could still love the Bible. and My church could still be real Jesusy, and you know, and so that to me, examining the theology and discovering so many, just so many interesting hermeneutics around it, and what was available out there, I just had never seen it because I never looked. Um, it is possible. It's more than possible. And then, oh, it's so vibrant. Oh my gosh! Like I feel like I was just like drinking through a really crappy straw until we got to this point and now is like big, like amazing gulps and uh, everything about our life and our church is flourishing, flourishing because of this. This is, this is not a path toward ruin. (laughs) It is the path toward um, life abundant. And that's the truth. If your bra is not comfortable what are you doing with your life? And I'm dead serious. There's just a better way. Life's hard enough. So let me show you the light of one of my favorite sponsors, Third Love. So Third Love bras are designed to fit you, not the other way around. They're designing using measurements from millions of women. Third Love has more than 80 bra sizes. Okay. You are in there somewhere and they make the most comfy bra you'll ever own. Their straps do not slip. They do not cut into your shoulders. They are made from memory foam. Do you hear what I'm saying? They have this premium luxury feel. I don't even know how many I have. I have so many. Third Love knows there is a perfect bra for everyone, and that is true. So right now, they're offering my listeners 15% off your whole first order. So all you have to do is go to thirdlove.com slash for the love right now to find your perfect fitting bra. Okay. And you'll get 15% off your whole purchase. Yay. So it's thirdlove.com slash for the love for 15% off today. Okay, guys, back to our show. Two more questions, then I'm going to let you go because you are so dear to give me your time today. Um, Here's the first one. Um, In your opinion... How can us, how can we straight allies be more effective? How can we serve our LGBTQ siblings better? And specifically, tell me. Um, Because I've made errors in this, and I am pretty sure I'm going to make more. And I would love to be taught, and to something you said earlier, BT, people... I am so grateful for how many times people have come to me and said, this is problematic what you just said. Um, this tweet, this is, I think what you meant, this is how it reads. Uh, thank goodness for this. This has been my best teacher. And so how, how would you, um, what would you ask of allies right now in our culture um, to be um, the best siblings we can be to you?
3: I would say, Jen, I view this as sort of a, a micro approach and a macro approach. Mm. So let's say on the micro level, you know, make a list of all the LGBTQ people in your life. Maybe it's one person, <laughs> maybe it's half a dozen, maybe it's, you know, the gay straight alliance down at the local high school. But um, mm. you know, check on them. Invite them over for dinner, actually enter in relationship. I mean, if we just had tens of thousands of people of faith doing this, this would be a, a fantastic start. Oh, that's um, good. You know, on on a macro level, I think I think of the you drive through a neighborhood and you see the sign that says drive like your kids live here. Oh, have you seen yeah. those before? Sure. And it's that's their way of of asking you to slow down by mm-hmm. forcing you to be empathetic. Yeah. And so I would just challenge people to, you know, dig deep with uh, if you don't know someone have a loved one that is LGBTQ uh go within your soul and imagine mm. that it was you experiencing some of these moments of oppression uh you know i always say you know it's lgbtq true. people are you know it's debatable statistically three five seven percent of the population at most there aren't that many of us and so you know we can advocate for ourselves but we kind of need we need that other 95 yeah. percent. so we need we need people out there to be bold and to speak up and to advocate my friend daryl daryl ford he's an african-american pastor here in atlanta he said You know, Brett. One of the main ways you love your neighbor is in how you vote. So I would even say that as well is uh, you know let your let your politics um, come in line Mm. with uh, treating people the way Jesus would treat
0: them. That's so good. I love it, Michael.
1: That's a word.
2: That's a word.
0: Yeah, it's a word.
1: It's a word. (laughs) Oh, I mean, this could be a multi-part series. We could could really break this down. Um, I think it's important to name. We're not talking just uh, our. Our straight allies, but also our cisgender mm. allies. So all of us, right? Like, how are we, right? Even as a
0: yeah. as Thanks a gay man, that. how
1: am I advocating for uh, my transgender and non-binary siblings? Mm. Um, that's that's just critical and often missed in this conversation, yeah, right? right? And particularly in faith spaces, because faith people of faith are often like, uh, "Maybe I can have a conversation about gay and lesbian folks." That's true.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And
1: like, so true. Full stop. Like, that's about as far as they can go. Like, not even like. How do we love, support, affirm, and include my folks? Right, like yep. were, folks aren't even there yet, right? Like, and so it's important for those of us in this work to make sure we are as cis people, right, advocating um, for our siblings who are transgender or uh, non-binary. Um, something I would love to see, right? Like, if I had a, to, the what, like the immediate thing that's coming to my mind, right, is um, particularly in these spaces when I think of. Um, a lot of the conferences we end up at or retreats we end up at are just spaces that we feel like, Oh, like it's allies. It's not out. Al- it's, you know, it's the, you know, we feel like we're with our people. Right. Um, I often have observed, uh, allies just kind of feeling like, yeah, now I'm part of you. Like I'm part of the crowd. Like, mm-hmm. and like, let's all run away together. Right. Like Ow. let's create our silo somewhere. Mm-hmm. Let's, you know, disengage. Right. And like, keep bringing people over here. Right. Um, and I want to see allies step into the arena um, proudly, boldly, um, to stare into the face of the things that we are um, being assaulted with, um, instead of trying to run away from it. Right? Because I get it. Right? There are um, cis and straight folks who are leaving some of these toxic or abusive or non-affirming churches. Right? Like, and they have also been hurt. Right? Because. Oftentimes, right, these churches that are not affirming and are toxic in some way, right, um, are not just anti-LGBT, but they're anti, like anti-women, right? Um, anti-black. Like, there's all sorts of other things happening, right? Um, and I'm not going to name names, but we could, you know, we've heard plenty of stories to know. Like, it's not like that's just the surface, right? And so there are allies who leave those spaces feeling equally hurt, but I still feel like those allies have a greater responsibility to enter back into the arena and say, now that I've, you know, brushed the dirt off. Right. And I've got some healing and, um, I have the, the structures that I need to protect myself. Um, I'm going to go back in and do the work. Right. It's very easy to just kind of run away and, you know, let's go on a camping trip, you know, to get, let's run off to Wakanda together and not engage. Right. Like, um, but instead, like, can we stay in the fight? Hmm. Um, that I think is critical.
0: Yeah, that's good, Matthew.
2: Well, um, I mean, Jen, I think you're probably the most problematic person I know. So, you know, I think you you just may be beyond, um, you know, beyond repair. It's in terms, fair. No, uh, you know, <laughs> so fair. I love you, and um, I think you've had a, a fantastic. I'm kidding. It's not fair at all. I think you've had a wonderful impact, just especially since 2016 in being a voice in this conversation. And so I'm really grateful for that. And in terms of what people can do in general, I think they're, it's really good. I think, because as Michael said, we all are allies to somebody, or at least should be allies to someone, right? We all have our areas where we have advantages that other people don't have. And so as Christians, that should be calling us to think about how can we be using that those advantages and those privileges to mm. be benefiting the people who don't have them. But it can also easily kind of turn into a mindset of, I just get to help you now. And mm. while there are certainly times when I think we all need to be helped, I think there's a lot of value, too, in thinking about things from the standpoint of, well, what people in this conversation may be LGBTQ, but it could be lots of other conversations, too, around race, gender, class. What people in this community do I really look to as mentors? It's great. Like, just friends, but as mentors and people who can really then be... Can provide some accountability for me in the context of relationship yeah. because there is never going to be a single lgbtq perspective right sure of uh, most issues of the day i mean unless it's something really black and white We're, like in general there's going to be some diversity of opinion and so i think being able to have mentors in your life who you have yeah. those deep relationships with where you know that there's room for mutuality and honesty for them to be able to point out like Areas where they maybe see possibilities for growth, improvement, change, but it's not just that; it's also just a relationship with that person. I do think that can be incredibly helpful, and just mm-hmm. make sure that we have that mindset of it's not just us helping people, but us learning from. One hundred percent.
0: You have been that to me so many times, and I'm so thankful. Last thing, can last I question. Add, yep.
1: Can I add something? Really quick To what Matthew just said, mm-hmm. um, Matthew's right in saying there's never going to be right a singular. Mm-hmm. LGBTQ belief or thought were not a monolith, right? Like our theological sure. perspectives are incredibly diverse. Um, I would love to see allies not run to the folks who are most palatable. Hmm. Um,
2: hmm.
1: Those who feel like, um, you know, we can, I can insert you into my church and no one would really know unless uh, you said something. Wow. Um, your theology hasn't really shifted significantly from our theology for the exception that you are now affirming. Um But that there is a dynamic, like there are folks with much more dynamic and interesting and intricate views that um, go far beyond and possibly even deeper than a lot of the belief systems from where we come from. And that's not a value judgment, That's simply to say, like, can we not just go and take the politically expedient gay person and put them and say, like, (laughs) now we're affirming, right? Like, Mm. are we willing, right, um, to have the whole breadth of the conversation. And so far as it's possible, right. Um, brought in, right. Um, because those are the stories that are missing, right. What about the other folk, right? Mm. Like whose theologies are maybe a little complex and different. Those stories are valuable. Those are important. And I need allies to lift up those names.
0: That's good. Thank you for saying that, Michael. Thank you for including that. I think that's important here. I think that's important to remember. Here's the last thing. Just if you have a short word, guys. Um, I have a lot of listeners out of the queer community, and I have a lot of their moms. I have a lot of their sisters. Um, I have a lot of their daughters and their aunts and their classmates. And so I wonder if you just could give them that particular, the, the, my, the queer community that's listening today, uh, anything you want to say, any little message that you'd like to leave them with, something that, um, something that you want them to hear from you today, and we'll—I would love to um, end on that note. How about BT?
3: Yeah, there's lots of terrible things out there, uh, but there's a lot of a lot of good things as well. I, I, I've been saying, and I think being LGBTQ in America right now, uh, it's not without its struggles, but at the same time, I think it's one of the best times. Uh, to be LGBTQ, the mm-hmm. fact that uh, you can live your life out and about uh, in not everywhere, but in some places, I think is positive. So a uh, long, long way to go. A lot of things to improve on. But I would just say avoid the despair of the age. Be insanely hopeful that things will get better. And uh, and then all of us work together to see that come through. That's good.
0: Watching you build your beautiful life has been the greatest thing. Uh, Michael?
1: Yeah, I'll be really brief um i think it it's important to just continue to reaffirm right that all lgbtq people are created in the wondrous and beautiful image of god That's good um and that we walk in that power as a result of it that are, mm. we are loved by god thus we have dignity that we are loved by god um thus we are beautiful and honorable and that that should be enough i hope right to get us through mm. all of the the horrors that we are seeing um and get to that beautiful place that we know is possible.
0: Amen to that. Okay, Matthew, it looks like you have the final
2: word. Okay, well, that was pretty similar to what I was thinking. That's which is fine. We can hear it more than once. Would just would just be that Jesus loves you, yeah. and that Jesus loves your LGBTQ child, yeah. and that uh, us going through all the traumas and challenges and rejection. Um, at the end of the day, like Jesus still loves us, and we can still love Jesus just as passionately as we always have.
0: Yes, you can. And you do, and you are, and you will, and you are building a beautiful church, and you are leading and teaching the rest of us, and it means so much to me, it means so much to my community, and you three do too, you mean so much to me. Thank you for um, just exactly who you are first, but also the work you have you have and continue to bring to bear um, on this earth and in our culture and in this time. I just think it makes me grin to think like one day you will know the scope of what your work has meant. You will not know it on, you will not know it now. But one day it thrills me um, that you will see the fruit of your work and it will be amazing. And it already is. And so I want to thank you for being good friends. I want to thank you for being good leaders and teachers and good men and, um, and for all that you had to say today. And I want my listeners to know that I'm going to, I'll link to these guys, everything, all their, everything, all the things that they have, you'll have a link for it. Okay. All their social accounts, um, follow them immediately. That needs to be your next step. As soon as this podcast is over, um, and continue to kind of put yourself under their leadership guys. Thank you for coming on today.
2: Thank you so much, Jen. Thanks, Jen. Hey,
0: guys. Show. I hope that meant as much to you as it meant to me. There is no substitute um, to learning from someone else's lived experience. Um, uh, one of my that's been one of my greatest lessons in the last decade um, is that when it comes to a group that have had a completely different experience that I have and have been um, isolated from power and privilege and marginalized in some way that my number one job is to pull up a seat to their table and shut my mouth and listen and learn. And so much magic happens around that table. I hope today Was a table that a lot of us were able to pull a seat up to and just listen quietly um, and learn. And I'm grateful to these three for coming on and sharing their um, wisdom and their experience with us. Um, What a great way to wrap it up, you guys. Next week, we start a brand new series. You may remember last fall, I did a live podcast tour where we recorded live in the room with so many like amazing guests and I promised you that I was going to bring those to you and now I'm going to. So you'll get it all the laughter, the, the energy in the room, um, with my guests and we're kind of all over the place. Um, this series is going to run the gamut from really like sober minded serious conversations. Um, and one episode is just absolutely, it is like slapstick comedy from beginning to end. So it's all fun. You're going to enjoy it all. And I can't wait to bring you the live podcast tour series. So that starts next week. Next week. Don't miss it. Come right on back to the show. And um, if you haven't already subscribed to the podcast, do it. Thank you for subscribing. We have so many amazing subscribers and review it and, and rate it for us. And, um, on behalf of Laura, my producer and her entire team. And of course, Amanda and I, we are so grateful for you listeners. So grateful. We just love, love, love creating the space, um, for you. Okay. See you next week, guys.
1: That's it for today's show. Hope you enjoyed this chat. Be sure to subscribe to my mom's podcast and give it a thumbs up rating if you like it. From the whole Hatmaker family, I hope you have a great week and see you next time.